0: In this week's Spine-Tingling episode, we explore bone-chilling encounters that'll leave you questioning the limits of what we know. Join us as we delve into the unsettling world of the black-eyed kids, recounting a hair-raising encounter that will make your blood run cold. Then, prepare to be astounded by the bizarre tales of the cycloptic aliens in Harrow, Washington, a captivating phenomenon that leaves witnesses in awe and fuels our curiosity about the unknown. And finally, buckle up for a horrifying journey into the realm of the unknown as we delve into the accounts of bus commuters haunted by a nightmarish humanoid entity. Brace yourself for a captivating blend of unexplained occurrences, paranormal phenomena, and chilling testimonies that will guide you down the dark and twisted corridors of Strange Pathways. and welcome to this week's episode of strange pathways i am your host scott mort i've had a pretty good week i hope you're having a great week too i want to say welcome to all of our new subscribers our new listeners we here at strange pathways had the biggest jump in listenership from one week to the next ever this week uh a decent amount of extra youtube subscribers maybe about 10 or 15 uh but boy the podcast numbers jumped way way up so from me to you be this your first time listening your second time listening or your hundredth time listening thank you so very much for joining us this week now on to this week's tales Our first tale is going to take us back to the morning of January 2017, Santa Fe, New Mexico. I got this tale from, and at this point I've gone to this well so many times, it should be a drinking game. I have gotten this tale from Lon Strickler's amazing website, phantomsandmonsters.com. It is one of the very few websites that I go to, Every single day. And every single day, there's new stuff there. Lon really runs the gamut from ghosts, UFOs, paranormal encounters, unusual phenomena. It is absolutely fantastic. This, I'm just sitting here thinking, the the two websites that I'm guaranteed to visit every day are phantomsandmonsters.com. And oddly enough, TFW 2005, a Transformers website. I love Transformers. I can't help it. It, I'm essentially a 12-year-old kid at heart, but just with a extreme fascination with the paranormal. The eyewitness in this case, M. M had just moved to Santa Fe. Now, M and his wife—they're newlyweds, and they're originally from the Midwest. There are plenty of large towns in the Midwest—you, Chicago, Minneapolis—just to just to mention a few. But M and his wife—they weren't from a large town. They were from a very, very small community. They were a bit naive. They were very new to living. In the city. And whenever there was someone at the door. They never looked through the peephole. They never kind of peeked around the window. They never gave it a second thought. But that would all change. This morning in January. At 6 a.m. there are several loud knocks. That... That should have been it. Someone knocks on my door at six in the morning. I look out and it's not a police officer. I'm not opening the door. And it should have dawned on M to be more cautious, but he and his wife were getting ready for work, kind of going through that regular routine. M goes over to the door, starts to open it. And as soon as that door opens just a crack, M gets this strange feeling. It's fear. It's terror. It's foreboding. It's that feeling of like, I've done something wrong. And right now, I need to make every move count. Outside of that door stood a teenage boy. Average height and build. Wearing a black leather coat. Black hair, sunglasses. It's 6 a.m. 6 a.m. in January. So I wouldn't classify this as probably any time that there would be sunlight out. And that strikes M as odd as well. The boy is just standing there eating a pear. The boy looks up at M. And goes, hey, can I come in, warm up? M goes, sorry, no. M closes the door and puts that little security change, just swipes it over in place. A few minutes pass. Another knock. There he is again. M opens the door, speaking through the chain. He, M's going to say something, but once again, the boy asks, can I come in and warm up? No. And he tries to close the door. But before M can get the door shut, this boy puts his hand out. And just stops the door. He sticks it through that narrow opening. It's only as wide as the chain will allow it to be. Which probably only two or three inches. This boy, he doesn't care whether he gets his fingers smashed in this door or not. This boy looks at him. He's still wearing the sunglasses. This boy looks at M and goes... Can I at least get something to wipe my hands? At this point, M knows. M knows without a doubt. Something is up. I doubt M is thinking anything paranormal at this time. He's probably worried about a home invasion. M goes, get the hell out of here. My wife is calling the police. That's whenever... The boy lowers his sunglasses and instead of eyes staring back at M are two black and shiny obsidian orbs. The boy looks at him and goes, no, you won't be calling anybody. M forces the door closed. He locks it, screams out to his wife. She's She's freaking out. She's hiding in the bathroom. M rips the curtains back. He's going to look out the window. He wants to make sure he's gone, and he is. There's no trace of this boy. M goes out on the patio. Checks the gate. And the gate's still latched from the inside. M looks up One side of the street, down the other side of the street, nothing. Gone. The black-eyed kid is gone without a trace. Until M looks down. There, on the sidewalk... As if to say, you didn't imagine this, is a half-eaten pear. Our next tale is going to take us to the morning of January 19th, 1977, Hurrah, Washington. For those that don't know, which I'm assuming is almost everybody, Hurrah is a tiny little town in Washington, almost dead center. The current population is less than 600. Now, in Washington, you would think that, We're talking more about cryptids, Bigfoot, the like. But on that morning, nine-year-old Jose Cantu woke up just before 6.30. And he decided to let his mother sleep in. Jose was going to make himself breakfast. Now, that might seem astounding for a nine-year-old. But I can guarantee you, by the time I was nine, I was making my own breakfast. My mother, she worked. My dad was very ill. I learned how to cook for myself at a very early age, much to the detriment of my weight. As Jose is making himself breakfast, he looks out the window and saw a little man outside in the yard of his family's farmhouse. Jose's father had already left for work, but he decided to run into his mother's bedroom. His mother's name was Martha. And he he woke her up and said, please follow me. Take a look at this thing in the yard. Martha wasn't having it. Martha was completely drained of energy. Jose Jose had a sibling. And this infant sibling of Jose's was very colicky, very cranky. And Martha had just gone through an exhausting, sleepless night. She absolutely refused. Jose, though brave little Jose, he decides to go outside. As soon as he steps into the yard, Jose sees a pair of greenish creatures about three feet in height, completely without legs. To make up for this obvious, be it Evolutionary or perhaps physical ailment. These creatures are perched on rotating seats connected by tubes and supported on a wide base. On the bottom of these things is quite a number of small wheels that, that this creature swiveled on. Each of these beings had a pair of mushroom-capped antennas, pig-like noses, coarse, coarse hair, tiny, tiny arms attached to their rounded torsos. But most startlingly, each one of them had one single eye in the center of their foreheads. now these seats these seats to Jose they they obviously weren't organic were these were these like some sort of alien wheelchair were these part of their actual bodies some sort of cybernetic enhancement here's an interesting little fact half of your blood is in your legs. Whenever fighter pilots are, are making these wild maneuvers, putting the force of several times gravity on their bodies, what causes them to black out is those several G's of force pulling their blood into their legs one of the best fighter pilots in the 1930s, 40s, was a man who had lost both of his legs. He was able to pull off maneuvers because the loss of his legs actually made it that he could not pass out from extreme maneuvers. Could that be what happened? Could these creatures have given up their biological legs to counteract the effects of, of high gravity maneuvers. Be that as may, just a theory, but Jose obviously was quite stunned and scared. Jose ducked behind a broken washing machine nestled to a shed on that farmhouse. He's looking around, gathering everything he can. And that's whenever he realizes there are two steel-like crafts. Each one of these crafts had another of these little pig-nosed cyclopean entities in it. Jose spied that first craft parked in his backyard. The second was perched on the roof of his parents' home, right there on a flat section. These vessels emitted a bright light from the interior. And these... these craft had these... these ramps. Jose described them as straight stairs. Remember, Jose's only nine years old. He might not know the word ramp. But straight stairs... That would make sense if these things are on these, these wheelchair-like devices. Jose said these portals in the ship, they open in two parts like a cross. The interior of these crafts was just big enough to contain two seats on tall bases. Jose watched one of these creatures exploring the yard. The creature made its way up into the ramp, all the way into the ship that was parked on the lawn. The hatch, that cross-like hatch, closes behind it. The craft lifts off the ground and doesn't fly away. It vanishes in a puff of smoke. Jose, Jose's young mind had seen enough. He, he sneaks back into his home, runs into his parents' room, and this time Jose is not going to take no for an answer from his mother. Finally, Quite aggravated. I'm sure his mother was not happy about this. Not happy about the story. He recounts the entire thing to her. Over the kitchen table. Martha goes outside. She sees no trace. She decides that... Jose's either pulling a prank... A nightmare. His imagination got away from him. She sends Jose off to school. She's upset with him. I would be too, quite honestly. At school, Jose tells one of the classroom aides, Diane Gomez, about what he saw. Diane would later tell reporters And I quote, Jose is a serious boy. He's not one that tells stories or lies. What he told me, I took very seriously. Gomez, just after 10 a.m., the recess time for the kids, Diane Gomez and another aide, God bless her for this, they, they walk with Jose to his home. And they look around this landing site for themselves. They meet the mother there and all three of them follow Jose and he shows them in the yard where he saw these cycloptic slug beings. They're in the ground where Jose insisted these entities were Spinning on these bases, there were two circular marks embedded in the gravel. Diane herself found two sets of indentations, three holes each, where the others had stood. Martha then calls her neighbor, Irene Sanchez, and asks her to come over. Whenever Sanchez comes over to Martha's home... Sanchez goes, yeah, me and my brother saw these, these weird impressions. They were about 10 feet across. We saw them in your backyard. Sanchez and Martha, they go over to where Sanchez saw these indentations and they find that the uncut grass in the center of the circular pattern was swirled upward. this evidence stayed there. It was still visible whenever Jose's father returned home from work. The news of this encounter spread like wildfire. I don't know if you've ever lived in a small city. I have Salisbury, Pennsylvania is where I grew up. News like this spreads. And it's not a good type of spreading. It's derisive. It's picking. It's making fun of. Instead of the understanding. A police officer for the Indian Reserve of Yakima, Willard J. Vogel, visits the Cantu Farmhouse the very next afternoon. Now, he wasn't there as a police officer. He was there as a UFO investigator. Hurrah! Had been infested with UFO sightings over the, the 30 years previous. There were even reports of cattle mutilations. Vogel believed Jose's tale. He had the boy's sketch. If you go over to our Facebook page, our Instagram, our Twitter, you're going to see that sketch, that weird little sketch. Jose made over there Vogel who had a friend David Acres Acres was a researcher and an electrical engineer Vogel and Acres looked over the site and Acres checked the area with a Geiger counter no significant radiation readings were found But there was still, there was still that perfectly formed circle and traces of the foot of the alien on the scene. There had been a lot of UFO reports recently, a lot of reports of brilliant lights in the area. Two days after Vogel's visit, Francis Story, a journalist with the Toppenish Review, stops by the Cantu farmhouse. But by this point, the evidence was beginning to fade. The Cantu family was bilingual. The mother was more comfortable in Spanish. So Francis, Francis Story brought along a translator. The Cantu said, yeah, you can, you can interview our son. As long as you, as long as you let him answer all the questions posed to him. The translator was skeptical. But this translator was so impressed by Jose's candor. That. He said, the skeptic said, I believe he saw what he said he saw. Not everyone believed Jose, sadly. It's a young boy. People think young children are prone to flights of fancy, and perhaps they are. but those that actually took the time to speak with Jose those who listened to his story seemed more often than not to come out of it convinced that Jose believed he saw what he saw and I guess I ask that of you there is probably going to come a time whenever a friend or a family member or a coworker comes to you and says, You're not going to believe what happened to me. And I ask you that you be the good person that I know you are. Listen to them. Listen to them, follow up with them, make sure that they're okay. Until we remove the stigma from the paranormal, we will never get to the bottom of what is going on. And mark my words, something is going on. i'm sure that everybody by this point everybody who listens to this podcast everybody has seen the the video of the woman on the plane saying that the man next to her is not real what you may not know is that is not the first time it's happened and it hasn't even been the last two more people have had this similar experience. I hesitate to call them freakouts because that implies that they didn't see what they saw. And I, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the people these uh, that these individuals were sitting next to were reptilians or aliens or ghosts. But you watch that woman. And she may be having a psychotic break. But you watch that woman. That woman's terrified. And people are still making fun of her. You can hear it right on the video. They're making fun of her. Instead of consoling her, instead of listening to her, they deride her. We're not out of the woods yet as far as as listening to people go. I was very ashamed of the human race at that point whenever I watched that. It's not the first. It's not the last. So with that in mind, we're going to go back to the day of September 1st, 2020 Napierville Illinois this once again I've got I try not to go to this website twice an episode but here we are this is coming from phantomsandmonsters.com and as I said normally I only go to this well once an episode but being that this is related to an ongoing occurrence I wanted to hit this the the witness who has decided to be anonymous was headed back home on a public bus they were pretty much alone it was just them one or two other people and the bus driver the witness boards the bus and the bus is stopping at plenty of locations they would arrive at one, nobody would dare, they'd go past, arrive at another, but then they arrive at one. There's one where there's little to no light around. There's no street lamps, no houses, no buildings, nothing. The only thing lighting this stop was the light inside the bus and the bus's headlights. The bus driver stops. Opens the doors. No one is getting off. No one budges. The bus driver begins to close the doors. And everybody on the bus hears these real heavy footsteps. And they're coming out of nowhere. And then... It wasn't screaming. It wasn't singing. But the witness says it was, it sounded angry. The bus driver opens the doors again. And as soon as the source of that sound comes into eyesight, no one wants it on board the bus. The driver shuts the doors as quickly as he can. And whatever it is outside this bus, and it doesn't seem human, it becomes enraged. This thing, it's wearing women's clothing, an orange shirt, an orange hat, some shorts. But the witness says it was, it was not a woman. It was something doing a poor imitation of a woman. It begins pounding on the doors. It's howling. This angry, screaming, song-like wail. And it goes on for a long time. Because the bus driver is in shock. Everyone is scared. But the bus driver, the closest to this entity, is absolutely in shock. No one knows what to do. Do we drive off? If we do drive off, is this thing going to follow us? Do we let it in? Is it going to kill us? If we don't let it in, is it going to chase us? If we call the police, and here's the problem. Here's the problem again with society. If we call the police, do they believe us? They drive off. The first thing the witness does whenever they get home, they get on the internet and they go, has anything like this ever happened? And they're not able to find anything. Three years in. Three years. The witness decides to report it. Three Years, three years to gather up the bravery to report this. We need to do better as a society. We need to take things like this seriously. And we are, we're making steps. We're making progress. The police went to investigate the Las Vegas alien sightings. We are listening to whistleblowers like Grush who I have not made my mind up about yet. We are making progress, but at the same time, we need to do better. And that that doing better, that starts with you. Thank you for joining us once again this week on Strange Pathways. Got a little something for you guys that I think you'll all enjoy. Um, I came across this wonderful interview. Uh, J.P. McCarthy interviewed Dr. J. Allen Hynek in 1977. It is an amazing interview. And I think you'll all enjoy it. I'll link to it. I'll link to it on the Facebook page, on Twitter, on Instagram, what have you. But just in case you can't get to any of those, just head over to YouTube. The title of the video is Dr. J. Allen Hynek Talks UFOs in a 1977 interview with Detroit radio personality J.P. McCarthy. The, The name of the channel is Eyes on Cinema. Absolutely fantastic interview. It's about an hour and a half long. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Just this interview with the guy who was was big into the government's Project Blue Book, went in a skeptic, came out a believer. Absolutely fantastic. If you are having a mental health crisis due to a paranormal incident, please reach out to the Opus Network. Their website, www.opusnetwork.org, that dot org. there is help. There is somebody who will listen to you. Our Twitter is Pathway Strange, TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. Over on Facebook, we are going to have quite a few images dealing with the tales we spoke about here today. You can email me at strangepathwaysmail@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe on our YouTube channel. The numbers, they keep going up. Leave a review for us wherever you can. Tell your friends. Tell your family members. Thank you so, so much. A lot of new listeners this week. Thank you so, so very much. It It does my heart good. It does my heart good, and I love the fact that people are out there enjoying this, and hopefully learning from it as well. So, once again, thank you. Take care of yourselves and each other.